Welcome back to another action-packed, adventure-filled episode of the Attack of the B-Movies podcast, starring your host from another dimension, Johnny, that's me. So last time we talked about my science project, and I would mentioned the movie Real Genius, came out the same year, and I mentioned how that is a movie to me that is so great that I watch it all the time. I don't know if it qualifies as a B-movie, and to be honest, some of these movies by today's standards do, but at the time didn't, right? Even if they're from the 50s or 60s. So I really should change this to, like, the cult movie podcast, but I already bought the domain name, and it's staying the way it is. But back to the, the main thing here is that, so last week was my science fair project, and you know what? I mentioned Real Genius, and I can't help it. I'm going to do it right now. This is, this is, I think, episode 10. Do we, we don't need episode numbers, right? We're all friends here. You guys listen. You, you, care. you love me and care, I hope. Or at least listen. Please, cl- please click on the ads. Uh, anyways, um, but that's on the website. So if you listen through iTunes, I guess there are no ads. Spreaker has them, though. So make sure you help out, because it's always nice to be able to buy new equipment and upgrade stuff and keep paying for hosting, you know, if you, li- if you like me. Anyway, I'm sure the three of you that listen must, because you listen. Anyways, uh, you can also find short versions of these that have some video clips integrated into them over on squabblebox.co.uk. My buddy Dave over there run, is one of the people that run it, and he does fantastic work, and he takes the audio from these, and after a couple, after a week or so, you'll see him on the, their YouTube page. And uh, does a fantastic job. I'm, I'm going to talk to him and see if I can have him, if, I, if he wants to put the podcast on there too. But he does great work, and they all do great work, and they just did a next, Star Trek Next Generation retrospective that was better than half the professional ones I've seen. So i check them out. But now, on to Real Genius. Real Genius is a movie that takes place in a co- fictional college. It's really basically like a comedy. It, they call it Pacific Tech. And Pacific Tech University in this movie is basically, if you took MIT and Caltech and smashed them together, that's what you'd have, right? Like, the best engineering minds in the, in the world go here. That's the whole point of this. So what's great about this movie is it doesn't start off with you knowing what it's about initially. So it starts off, you're, it, it's showing a a rocket ship called, or a space shuttle looking thing called the Crossbow Project. And he gets the green light and he shoots a laser and he annihilates like, um, he looks like a South American, Colombian kind of dictator type guy or like drug lord kind of thing. He just gets eliminated by this laser. And they say it's a Crossbow Project and they turn on some lights and you see you're in a room with a bunch of guys in black suits, shadowy men. I think one of them might have been one of the guys, I think one of them might have been the cigarette smoking man from... X-Files, now that I think about it. And then there's a few other actors that are kind of recognizable from other 80s flicks. None of them are really the main characters, but you find out it's a CIA. And this one guy says, you know, he basically asks, who else knows about this? Does any responsible party know about this? Because this is the kind of weapon that could single-handedly escalate things between nations. And they're like, well, it's a need-to-know basis, and, you know, we're a responsible agency. So he says, you know, I can't be part of this. I don't agree with it. I urge you guys to stop, and he leaves. And the remaining men in the room, one of them says, well, it's too bad. He, George used to be a good guy. I guess it's time we liquidate George. Basically, they don't want anybody to find out what they're doing, and they they go to have him killed. Or they're going to have him killed. They don't show it or anything. And then they go watch some other film. And then it cuts to a science fair, a high school science fair, where we meet um, the main character of our movie, even though Val Kilmer, well, you know, I didn't run, give you a rundown of who's in this. So the movie's directed by Martha Coolidge. So she did Valley Girl, she did Real Genius, uh, the TV pilot for Sledgehammer, an episode of the 1986 Twilight Zone show. She 
was she directed she worked on CSI for a little bit. Um, a few things. But she's been around a long time and she's a name that I've heard and I know, but she's been around for a while and uh she continues to direct, I believe. It also stars Val Kilmer. I don't think I really need to give you guys a rundown on Val Kilmer at all. Uh, the screenplay is by Neil Israel and Pat Proft. I can tell you that Neil Israel was a writer and an actor. He wrote Look Who's Talking To. He wrote Police Academy, the series he was a writer on. Bachelor Party 2 he was a writer on, along with Pat Proft again. Um, he was also in a couple of his movies. He was in Johnny Dangerously. He was in Look Who's Talking To and Look Who's Talking. So, Oh, he also wrote the original Police Academy in 1984 with, um, and Bachelor Party, him and Pat Proft. So there you go. Learn something new every day. So the, the writing credentials of this movie were pretty pretty good. Um, critically, the critics didn't seem... They were, they were mixed. On, on Rotten Tomatoes, I want to say it's like a 74% approval rating, which is pretty good. And Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, but then other critics said that the writing fell flat or the writing wasn't smart enough. We'll get more into that later on, but... Pat Proft, I knew he sounded familiar. He did a lot of work for, with uh, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, who did like... Uh, Wrongfully Accused and um, Naked Gun, that kind of stuff. Back to the actors. So the, the original, the main character actor was this kid named Gabriel Jarrett. Gabriel Jarrett was Mitch Taylor in Real Genius. I, I found out that he was in, oh, his first one was a movie called Going Ape. Never saw it, 1981. He, he was in The Karate Kid Part 3. I don't know what kind of role it was, how big a role it was. Again, he was in Apollo 13. I, I'm sure maybe one of the people in the, in, in the office or something. Uh, last Days, he made guest appearances in 21 Jump Street, Alley Law, Party of Five, The West Wing. He was Ron, he was in uh, Frost Nixon, the Ron Howard film. He was Nixon's speechwriter, Ken Ketchigan. I He's done a decent amount of stage work. He's, I believe, from Minneapolis. No, he's from L.A., but I think he works in Minneapolis on, on the stage. For the most part, he's done stuff, but nothing that would, like, really stick out and make you go, oh, yeah, Gabe Jarrett. Uh, Michelle Marin, Marinick, Marinick, Marink. She was in it. She played, I believe, she played Jordan, who is one of the first people he meets at the school. And uh, when he goes to his dorm, we'll talk about that. She was also the female nerd Judy in, in uh, the 1984 Revenge of the Nerds movie. And then a year later, she was a nerd in Real Genius in 1985. Her last movie was in 1988, Permanent Record. And I believe from what i read was she left acting in 1989 to for zen buddhism and moved to dominican republic because she had family living there um she was originally from vancouver she eventually went back to vancouver she has an acting school in it and she just doesn't she's happy i guess she you know she was happy about not she i guess she left because she didn't want physical possessions to rule her life. I get it. It's sad because she was actually pretty damn good. She was actually pretty good in both movies, but good for her, you know. There was always talk about a, reu a second movie, and Val, Kil Val Kilmer was always on board for it, and I think even her and Gabe Jarrett had said, yes, we'd be, we'd be willing to do it. And it just, it, it, it never gets off the ground, and I'm sure it's going to stall until they decide to reboot it and bastardize it into some piece of crap. But, that's Hollywood. What are you going to do? That's why I don't watch new movies most of the time. Uh, the protagonist, or the antagonist in this movie is someone that is a name that everyone who grew up in the 80s is going to recognize, and even in the 90s. William Atherton. William Atherton plays the science, fair, the science teacher. We'll talk about him more. 
when we get into the movie more. And yeah, he's he was the bad. He's been a bad guy in a lot of movies. He was Walter Pack in Ghostbusters. He was Richard Thornburg in Die Hard. He was, um, he was Doctor Noah Faulkner in Biodome. I, he's just he was in uh, he was Nathan Randall in The Crow Salvation. He just always plays like a dick. And I, I don't know about his last ten years. I haven't really watched much, but he always played a dick in the old movies and old shows. And uh, he made a living doing it, you know. So. Anyways, that's, that's a basic rundown of the cast of this one and the writers and director. So anyways, so the first part was the CIA. It's, it, it flashes to, it, it opens to uh, a science fair in high school. And we see Mitch, we see all these science fair experiments. We see Mitch Taylor, and he's explaining how the laser works to his father. And he says it's coherent light. And his dad goes, oh, so it talks. Uh, clearly not what coherent light means. But he tries, and in walks William Atherton's character, Jerry Hathaway. And he says that he pushed to get Mitch admitted into Pacific Tech. He will room with physics legend Chris Knight, who was one of the youngest students ever, and that's Val Kilmer's character. Uh, I think Mitch is 15 in the movie. And Val Kilmer's character was a legend in physics circles for youth. And uh, he's going to put him on his own team working with Chris Knight. What we find out is that Hathaway is who the CIA has hired to create this laser. Hathaway is a big shot, right? He he has pull at these play at like um, research institutes. He he's the foremost expert supposedly on lasers and stuff in his in the field. He he has a TV show where he talks science and stuff, you know. So instead of doing the work work for it himself, what he's doing is having his students work on it during the year as a project, and that way he doesn't have to pay for it. And while he's not paying for it, he's taking that money and using it to remodel his house, which when projects get audited, they don't really want to know where the money went. If the project gets shut down, it gets audited. If the project's successful, no one really cares. That's how things kind of ran back then. You probably still do. Mitch arrives on campus, and he's... Uh, he asks where the freshman mixer is, and he goes, and he meets the president of the university and the president's wife, and he's wearing, like, a suit jacket, and all the other older students are just looking at him like, what are you dressed like that for, you know? And uh, he eventually, he talks to, the, he talks to the, the president of the university, and he goes, he, he gives him some advice, and I don't, I don't remember word for word, but it was like, never... I mean, always check your references. And he's like, okay, thanks, I got it. And he walks away, and the president looks at his wife and goes, I think that students love it when I get down philosophically. Anyways, I've seen this movie way too many times. So he goes to the campus, he goes to his dorm, he meets Chris Knight, who he finds out is a complete slacker, and he's, um, he's pretty much just spends most of his time now pulling high-tech, he just pulls pranks on people, and he's advanced the laser project a lot. Actually, before he meets Chris Knight, he goes to Hathaway's lab, and there's another guy there, and oh my god, I wish I remember who played, uh, what is his name? Kent. I wish I remembered the name of the actor that plays Kent. So here he meets Kent, who's comp- who is supposed to be running the science fair project, he walks in and he goes, hi, I'm here. And Kent goes, oh, just put the sandwiches over there. And he's totally belittling the guy. He's like, 
aren't you the guy from the sandwich department? And he goes, no, I'm the new student here. I was told to come down here. And he goes, well, can I get you anything, like a lollipop? Like, because of his age, he's just making fun of him. And the other guys in there are kind of, there's a guy named Brody, and there's another two guys. I always forget their names. But Kent's and his cronies are just kind of, like, making fun of him. And he goes, well, I don't understand what you're here. And he goes, well, I, I, Dr. Hathaway told me to come down here to check your work because I heard you're stuck. And uh, Kent's like, oh, I'm not stuck. No, no. You know, Jerry, he starts calling Hathaway Jerry, like, on a first-name basis. And then Hathaway walks in. And Kent goes, oh, hi, Jerry. And Kent goes, <laughs> or uh, not Kent. Kent goes, hi, Jerry. And Jerry goes, Kent, I told you, you can never use my last name. Everyone else can but him. And he's like the total lackey, right? He gets his dry cleaning. He does all that stuff, just a total kiss ass. Not really as smart as he thinks he is, but he'll get ahead because of being a kiss ass. <clears throat> so he's told that Mitch is taking over the project and he's going to be the lead because he's had the most um, creative ideas he's seen in the field in a long time. I can't remember what type of laser he talks about, but he says he's the uh, most innovative ideas they've had. And um, so Mitch then goes to the, Mitch ends up meeting Chris at the dorm room and he's Val Kilmer's hanging upside down. And he goes, would you be prepared if you're, if you're, if gravity reversed itself? He goes, I just don't know how to keep the change from falling out of my pockets. And he goes, nudity. So Mitch is just like, what the hell? This guy's supposed to be one of the smartest minds in the in the world, and he's a complete slacker now. He also meets. Um, he goes to leave the room, and he trips on ice, and it turns out there's this kid Ick there who makes fake ice, and they're having like a sledding competition down the stairs, and that's when he meets Jordan. Her sled crashes, and he meets her, and she's totally hyperactive, and um, the CIA talks to Hathaway and says, "Hey." We need this quicker. Hathaway tells Chris, you need to do this. And um, he tells him, you know, you're being a distraction to Mitch. I need you guys to buckle down and work on it. So Mitch is, he's always in the lab in the evenings and everything. So he, he's there one night, and Chris shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm going to help you out. And he sets up all these mirrors. And when they fire the laser, it's a beam that goes to, um, like, a pool. I don't know if it's a school pool or whatever it is. turns out he set up, like, a bathing invitational to help Mitch relax so he doesn't snap. Prior to this, say Mitch sees this guy come out of the closet, and this guy walks out of the closet. His name is Hollyfeld. Turns out it's played by the same guy that played um, Uncle Rico in uh, Napoleon Dynamite. God, I can't think of his name. Ah, it's killing me. I can't think of his name. But either way, it's the same guy. Mitch eventually follows him down into the where he's going. He sees him go in and disappear, and he finds out this guy has like a lair down there, but he doesn't say anything to him. So. They're at this party, and they're having fun, and Jordan's there, and he's talking to her, and he's starting to have a good time, and he's loosening up a little bit, and Kent finds out, and he tells he tell, he tells Hathaway, who, of course, comes down on Mitch. You know, he, he says, I, I, I should never have recommended somebody your age. You're here to work, not party, and, you know, just the usual, like, D-bag line, right? Mitch gets humiliated, and he's upset. He goes back to the lab, and he's working on it. And, like, he's throwing parts around. Stuff's not working. He goes over to, um, he goes and calls home. And he says he wants to come home. And the mom tells him, no, you can't because we rented out your room. So then we find out that he, uh, we see Kent and his cronies see him on the phone. And they record the conversation. So now Mitch is at the, at lunch the next day. And Chris walks over and Mitch just snubs and won't talk to him. And they played a recording. 
of him wanting to go home, and he's crying on the phone, and everyone's laughing at him, and Kent's laughing at him. So he storms off, and uh, Chris goes after him, because now Chris feels bad, right? Because he doesn't want the guy to leave. So he goes over there, he's like, listen, you know, you have to stay. First he tells him, hey, it created a new, a new virus, we're going to let it loose in Kent's, Kent's room. And that didn't work. So he talks to him, and he's like, he convinces him to stay, and he explains that Laszlo Hollyfeld was the top genius at Pac Tech in the 70s, right? He was the guy. He no one was smarter than him. And he had a nervous breakdown because he found out that all the theories he came up with and all the work he was doing was being used to create weapons. Funny how that foreshadows, right? Like Chris doesn't see it, no one knows it yet, but that's basically what Hathaway's doing with Chris. So he tells he tells Mitch, you know, that's why you need to unwind. You can't always be all worked up. You can't always be all work or you're going to snap like Hollyfeld did. And he goes, your first order of business is to get revenge with Kent. Calling it a moral imperative. So they, they, they sneak around to Kent's car and they disassemble the car and reassemble it on Kent's bed in his room and they make it look like it's breathing. So of course now Kent wants revenge against him. So the CIA is coming down on Hathaway. They need to solve this. They're having a problem with the laser creating enough power. They want a 5-megawatt power laser, which today doesn't exist even in military applications. But it's a science fiction film, right? You know, and it was the 80s, Cold War. I mean, who knows what they were really working on? And really, who knows if, how close they really got to something like that that's classified? I mean, who knows? So they have a, so him and uh, Chris have a discussion, and he threatens Chris and says, if you don't, if you don't finish this, actually, he tells him he's no use of no use to him anymore, and he might as well pack his bags and leave. I'm going to fail you because, you know, I don't care anymore. I'm going to fail you. You didn't get the, you didn't do this for me. And Chris is like, well, I'll just go and the amount of work I've done on laser alone should get me a degree. I'll talk to the president. He goes, who's he going to believe, me or you? So now Chris wants to leave. Now Chris is upset. So. Let's see. So Mitch goes back. So Chris goes back. Mitch sees him sitting outside. He asks what's going on. And Mitch kind of pulls the same thing, right? Convinces him to stay. It's a moral imperative. So they start studying. Chris decides, I'm going to fix the power problem, and I'm going to ace this guy's exam to really show, teach him a lesson, to show him how good I am. Chris and Mitch start studying hardcore. Laszlo Hollyfeld shows up, and he's got, he's carrying these pallet, these boxes of stuff, and he goes, I printed out every, I, I've, I looked up every question that Hathaway's ever asked on every exam. And Chris is like, that's great. Is that them? He goes, no, these are sweepstakes entries. Enter as many times as you like. Uh, he goes, where are the questions? He goes, well, I memorized them all. So Chris is like, all right. So Chris stays up at Hollyfeld and Mitch goes to go to bed. There's a woman in his room. And we meet this woman earlier on. She's, there's a part I didn't mention where Chris is like interviewing for a job. at uh, it's a place that, um, Kent wants the position at Darlington, I think it's called. And this woman's there, Sherry Nugel. And she's played by a pretty well-known named person. I can't think of it right now, though. And uh, she's waiting for Chris. What we find out when she's talking to Mitch, or not Chris, she's waiting for Mitch. What we find out earlier when she's talking to Chris is that she slept with all, she wants to sleep with, her objective is to sleep with all of the top ten minds in the, in the country or in the world. So, obviously, I'm assuming her and Chris did. And that's why she wanted to meet Mitch in she was waiting for him to be a certain age, so she meets Mitch in his room, and he tells her no. So then he goes across the room to Jordan's room and explains, hey, this woman was in my room, and she wanted to have sex, and I said no. 
And he, she said, why? And he said, because I wanted to, but not with her, and, and basically with Jordan. So they become a couple. Chris is studying and working on the exam, and we see them in the lab, Chris and Kent and everyone, and they're leaving to go take the exam. And uh, what's his name? Kent smears grease on one of the laser lenses before they leave. So they take the exam. Chris goes to test the laser. He thinks he's got it this time. He kept up in the power. It kept getting better and better. He fires it. And the thing just melts down because there's grease on the lens. And he's, he's walking all distraught back to the, the little break area by his dorm. And Kent walks by and he goes, sorry, I heard about, sorry about your melt, or sucks, or what was it? Sorry about your meltdown earlier, Chris. And Chris is like, I didn't tell anybody. How do you know about it? And he finds out he sabotaged it. So now they're all after Kent again because, come on, it's bullshit, right? Chris freaks out, and he starts kicking the fridge and the freezer, and it opens, and there's this, there's a, like a, it's like a freezer bottle they have in the fri- in the freezer, and it's got like frozen, is it liquid nitrogen? Frozen nitrogen? It's got something frozen, I can't remember the compound of it. Basically what he realizes is, if I can keep this laser cold, I can amplify the power and I could do this. So he comes up with the whole theory. He figures it all out. He runs over to uh, Hathaway's house. Hathaway's there with this girl he met earlier, that Chris met earlier, that was like the daughter of a military guy. And apparently she's hooked up with Hathaway too. And Hathaway's trying to kick Chris out. And Chris goes, I solved your power problem. So Hathaway tells her, hey, take a bus. I got to go. They go back to the college. He shows them. It works. Everyone goes out to celebrate, except, of course, Kent. And Kent's freaking out. First off, he doesn't think it's going to work. Then it works, and he's freaking out. He's like, I built this mirror for you. I did all this work for you. I pick up your dry cleaning. And the whole time, Hathaway's just ignoring him. And they estimate it's at six megawatts of power, which was higher than the five they needed. So they follow the laser beam, and they go to celebrate. And they're at this, like, biker kind of bar. And they're hanging out, and they're they're, they're talking and having a good time. And the whole crew's there. Chris, Mitch, Ick, Jordan... Uh, I think a couple of the other guys are there, too. And um, Hollyfield shows up. And he's talking to him and says, you know, what do you think you'd use a laser like that for? And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's not our job to think of it. And he goes, well, maybe somebody already thought of it. Now Chris realizes, holy shit, the mirror he made could be used for a tracking system. I've made a weapon. So now Chris freaks out. They run back there. Everything's gone. So they want to get back. They, he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want it to be used as a weapon. He, he wants to get back at um, Hathaway and Kent. So they knock Kent out with some, some sleeping gas. They put a receiver in his head, and they act like they're Jesus. So they can find out where Hathaway is going with it. So they find out he's on an air, it's going to an Air Force base. They're going to test it. And uh, they make up fake IDs. I'm just trying to cut this a little short, but... I, it's basically the whole plot. I mean, you're basically hearing the bulk of it. They make fake IDs up. They're all working together. They go out there, and there's an iconic scene from this. So they break into the mil. They don't break into the military base. They sneak in with the fake IDs. Laszlo dials in because young ones out there. We had dial up back in the day, not not cable and DSL. He dials in. He reprograms the coordinates. So the day of the test, they're all standing outside of Hathaway's house across the street. And they have a congressman there, and they have the president of the university. And Kent shows up. And this is an iconic scene that even if you've never seen the movie, this scene was on Mythbusters. Clearly, it wouldn't have worked, but it was cool to watch. The laser fires, and it misses the target. 
and he's trying to figure out where it went. Well, it turns out the laser hits his house, and they'd put a little crystal in the window as an amplifier. So it hits the house, and it superheats all this popcorn they put in there. They put like a they made like a giant Jiffy Pop thing in it, and it it inflates it, and it busts out the uh, the windows. It breaks the house. Kent's in the house, and he comes tumbling out the front door. And all of a sudden, like, Kent's kind of cool after this happens. He's, like, happy to see him. And he's laughing and having a good time, and he thinks it was a religious experience. So uh, they're sitting there, and the senators, and obviously the senator and the president know what's going on now. The The laser starts melting down, and Hathaway's trying to stop it from happening, and he can't because he's not on the plane it's on. Hathaway unlocks the system and goes to see where that shot went and sees his house. So that's pretty much the end of him. But they're standing outside of his house, and they hear a horn honk, and there's an RV. And it's got Laszlo and Sherry Nugel together. Turns out she's he's the last one she was looking for. He was, like, number four or whatever it was. And uh, he won the sweepstakes that he wanted to. He won a ton of the prizes, exactly what he said he was going to win. And they uh, decided to run off together. And... That's kind of the end of the movie. At one point, Laszlo at the end says, it's getting too weird around here. And Jordan goes, I don't think it's getting too weird around here. Do you? And Mitch says, and Mitch kind of says it is, but that he likes it. And they're all happy and they're eating the popcorn and there's neighborhood kids playing in it. You know, never mind the glass and stuff that would be in it, but it's a movie. But that's that's real genius in a nutshell. It's a movie I definitely, oh, John Grice, that's the guy that plays Laszlo Hollyfeld. It's definitely a movie that I would recommend seeing. It, it's a lot of it, it is a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. So I give Martha Coolidge a lot of like I talked about the the writers and stuff a bit in the beginning and the actors. So Martha Coolidge actually spent months researching laser technology and the policies of how the CIA works. She also went to Caltech, interviewed stu- like twenty or thirty or 40, just dozens of students. And the, I guess the screenplay went through multiple rewrites because of this. She wanted it to be somewhat authentic. She wanted the technology to be based on real theories, right? So it was a solid xenon halogen laser that Chris proposed in the at the end of the movie. The mo- it's still a sci- it's still not a scientific reality, right? It's still like a science fiction thing, but it's all based on real theories, especially that were out at the time in the eighties. So not only did she do her own research, but she brought in a consultant named Martin A. Gunderson. He played the math professor in a fl- film, and he it, it's it's a great scene because he's giving his lecture, and you see a few tape recorders. Then the next time Mitch is there, there's more tape recorders, and by the end of it, it's all tape recorders except for Mitch. Well, he was actually given a citation, an academic in an academic publication for detailing the scientific basis behind the laser. So there was actually real science theory behind it, which was kind of nice. So that definitely puts it ahead in uh, of my science project in a lot of things. The movie's great. There's lots of good one-liners. Val Kilmer is fantastic in it. The whole movie is just a fun movie to watch. It's This is a movie I put on numerous times. I'll be working in the basement cleaning. I put it on. I'll be at work working on a spreadsheet. I'll throw it on just to listen to it. It's just a lot of fun, and I can't recommend it enough. If, if you're a science nerd and if you were that geeky kid in the 80s or 90s or now who always wanted to grow up and, like, work at, like, Caltech or MIT. Like, I always wanted to go to MIT, and I don't know why the hell I didn't. Oh, laziness. That's why. That's why I'm doing this. Anyways, um, check it out. I mean, it was a fantastic movie. It's a lot of fun. And uh, if you do, 
you know, comment on here. Let me know. Or let the guys at Squabble know when they post the video. You know, tell, them, tell us what you think of the movie. I, I believe I have a Facebook page for this show, too, honestly. I got I to gotta double check. I'm pretty sure I do. So comment on the Facebook page. You know, like it, follow it, whatever. So anyways, thanks for listening. I hope you check it out. I hope you enjoy it, and have a great night.